Sometimes, we just need someone to set the record straight. Every now and then, we need a person who has our best interest at heart to look us in the eye and tell us the plain spoken truth. In a snowflake generation that can no longer take the heat, we need a fresh baptism of no-nonsense, undiluted truth from the Word of God. If you are open to this type of challenge to your soul, then you are about to be helped with today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. And now, here is our host, a man who earned a PhD in making waves against the shallow ends of the pool of religion, Jeff Lyle. Last month of 2021, how did that happen? I mean, are you kidding me? It's December 2021. I'm going to blink my eyes. It will be 2022. I'm still trying to figure out 2020. Can I get an amen? What an incredible wild ride the last couple of years have been and here we are winding up um you know the the current year and stepping towards the new one can i let you in on a little secret i love ending a year <laughs> i i laugh because amy and i are so different her she hates starting a new year her she loves christmas she would make christmas season in the month of december last for 80 days if she could me i'm i, I love christmas i enjoy it but as soon as christmas like on the 26th i'm ready to sprint into january 1st of a new year and um you know we're getting there we're almost there but i don't want to rush past christmas i want to i want to enjoy this last couple of weeks prior to advent and i want to celebrate the birth of the son of god even though yeah culturally in our you know in america probably all over the world christmas has lost its um, actual meaning and guys please i appreciate some of the facts or the fact that some of you guys have a conviction against celebrating Christmas because of its pagan connection and all of that stuff. But um, I'm just telling you, I'm going to celebrate the birth of the Son of God, and I'm going to do it on the month of December. I, I actually do it all year long, but I'm going to do it um, during this season because I've done it this way my whole life. You go ahead and follow your conscience. I'll be free in mine, and I'm going to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. Hallelujah. Um, I think one of the things that broke open for me probably close to 15 years ago as a believer as I started, you know, studying the prophetic passages that speak of the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation would be the theological term for it, God becoming man, uh, incarnate, carne being um, a word that describes in the Latin flesh or body or, you know, human tissue and incarnation is God coming in human flesh. And that's what it's all about. That's what Christmas is all about, that God became one of us. But I started being aware of the kind of the prophetic nuances and the fact that the first advent, the first coming of Jesus was heavily prophesied. I'm not going to run through all of those prophecies today. Just take your time and go for it yourself. Um, we could, That's a great study, but it's not for today. Matter of fact, I'm not going to do that at all this Christmas, but I am going to go to Galatians 4. Because Galatians 4 kind of capsulizes in about four verses kind of the, 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 the spirit of what I want to share with you today. Without me having to go through a lot of genealogies and prophetic stuff, I just kind of I just want to vibe with you and the Christmas vibe. Can we do that? Can we do that right now? Can we just say, okay, it is December. Let's focus on Jesus. This will not be sentimental. This will not be sweet and syrupy and Hallmark movie kind of stuff. This is like Bible. Let's get into the word and see what Paul meant when he was writing to the churches of Galatia. 
And when he was um, talking to them, it, he didn't really have a Christmas theme in mind. He's just talking to them about the coming of the Son of God and the sovereignty of the Father in sending the Son. And he says a couple of things in Galatians 4 that um, make sense to me at this time of year. So let me read. I'm just going to read a few verses. So as always, if you've got a Bible nearby and you're not driving, if you're driving, please watch the road, not the Bible. But if you're somewhere where you've got a copy of the Word of God, this is what I'm reading Galatians 4, verse 4. Um, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, some of your minds just got blown because you like music more than you like the word of God. And you know that older song that we all used to love to sing, No Longer Slaves. And you had no idea that that was taken directly out of Galatians chapter number four, where it says you are no longer slaves, but you are sons. And my sisters don't feel left out. Sons is a term in the Bible that incorporates all believers, male and female. To be a son is to be established in the house of the father as a child or a offspring of inheritance. And so that goes for the girls, too. But what has this got to do with Christmas? You know, I just want us to remember three things today. Three things out of these verses today that I think will help you enjoy this season, maybe more than you ever have before. And so let's just look at it from um, the Bible. Let's look at Christmas in this season from Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to tell you three things to remember. Um, so if, if you're interested in like preaching points, here they are. They're not real impressive, but they're helpful. First thing is found in verse 4. I want us to first remember the will of the Father. That's what verse 4 tells us, to remember the will of the Father. What am I talking about? Well, it says at the beginning of verse 4 that all of this that he's about to say is in the context of when the fullness of time had come. Paul opens up in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, and then it goes on to say God sent forth his son. But I want you to look at this prophetic timeline here. When Jesus came in the incarnation, there were a lot of things going on in the ancient world that made it, humanly speaking, from our perspective, the perfect timing. Um, idolatry had been removed among the Jewish people. They had been purged of their idolatry. And for centuries, they were now monotheistic. That means they were, again, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not messing around with all the gods of the pagan nations. Um, places of worship and teaching had been established as they had been erecting synagogues. So people knew where to go when they wanted to learn the Torah, and those are the Jewish scriptures. And so synagogues had been established, and so there were places for systematic teaching of God's word. The Old Testament for us had been completed, and now it was being taught. Um, and then, because of that, the proclamation of the coming of the Messiah was now biblical and systematic, and the rabbis would teach it. So there was a higher level of expectancy for the Messiah to come to Israel. You got to remember, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and he was coming as that in his first advent. And so the people for you know a couple of centuries had been expecting Messiah to come, 
And now the teaching of that was happening. And so the, the elevated sense of God will send Messiah soon was kind of threaded throughout the culture. By the way, the common language of that ancient world at that time when the fullness of time had come was, was Greek. And it was dominant throughout the entire known world. And the Roman, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, remember the Caesars were in authority all over the known world at that time. And the Roman peace provided for a political and economic stability. And so there was a sense of external peace. It was enforced, ironically, by military, but it was still peaceful and economic stability. And again, the Roman highway was present. The highway system was present. So people that were ready to proclaim Messiah, they could do so because they could travel on roads and be in highways. And ultimately, I think when the fullness of time had come, the people were hungry for God. Frankly, no true prophet had spoken for 400 years. So when the fullness of time had come, there had been 400 years of prophetic silence from when time Malachi passed off the scene, last book of the Old Testament, nobody had been speaking prophetically for God, but the systemized teaching of the word was being done in the synagogue. So that was part of the fullness of time. And at the fullness of time, God offers the treasure of his son. It says that right there in verse four, God sent forth his son. So as the divine son, Jesus alone had the nature to eventually become the acceptable sacrifice. But as the human son, and that's what we think of at Christmas, Jesus was the incarnated son of God, God come in the flesh. As the human son, he had the nature for the appropriate substitute. So as God, as the son of God, Jesus had the nature for the acceptable sacrifice But as the human son, he had the nature for the appropriate substitute. And so God sends forth his only begotten, co-equal, co-eternal son, second person of the Godhead. But in verse 4, it tells us that God was born of a woman. That's staggering. You're not going to be able to fully, completely, perfectly understand it, but you can fully, perfectly believe it. And so God took upon the form of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, was conceived supernaturally in the womb of the virgin, yes, virgin, not just a young woman, but the virgin, Mary. And Jesus came and was born under the law, meaning he was born into Judaism, born under the Mosaic law, like all Jewish sons were. So I think it's important that we remember the will of the Father who appointed the right time He offers his son as the treasure, the acceptable sacrifice and substitute. And Jesus assumes the identity. It was the will of the father for the son of God to assume the identity of humanity. That's why he was born of a woman born under the law. He came as one of us so that he could redeem all of us who would believe. And so that was the will of the father. It wasn't an afterthought, by the way. The whole existence, earthly existence of Jesus Christ has been established from before time, before, I mean, you can't get your mind wrapped around it, but it wasn't like, oh no, Adam and Eve sinned. We got to figure something out. This, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so, but there had to be a prophetic timeline and you go back about 2000 years and that's where God says, now is the acceptable time. Now my son will leave heaven and become the son of man. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men might become sons of God. You've heard that said before, but it's theologically true. So he had to become one of us so that we could spend eternity with him. 
So the first thing to remember is the will of the Father in that. But the second thing to remember is the work of the Son. Because Jesus came, but he came with work to do that was assigned to him by the Father. And the first thing is is there in verse 5, part of the work involved him meeting us in our helplessness. It says, Jesus came as one born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. When you hear that phrase under the law, just get theological with me here for a moment. To be under the law is more than just being born Jewish. It means that the law of God is the written representation of the holy nature of God. It, it The law reveals the holiness of God, but it also reveals the utter incompetency of man to keep the law and fulfill the righteous demands of the law. So we are, in a sense, all of us born under the law. The law reveals our sinfulness. The law reveals our condemnation. The law reveals God's holiness and his altogether otherness that from us. So the, the law reveals all of that. So the law is not something like we rejoice in. It's something that Jesus came to fulfill the law, the righteous demands of the law, so that he could buy back those who were under the law. By the way, the law also specifies the curse for breaking the law. James, the apostle, would say, if you've broken the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. And so it's like a, it's like a window that shatters. You, you can take a hammer up against a glass pane, and you may hit that glass pane in only one spot, but it shatters the whole thing. It's the same way with the law. So I may not have murdered somebody, but if I have coveted, then I'm guilty of the whole law. And because we're guilty of the whole law, we are under the curse of the law and we need to be redeemed. That means we need to be bought back. We need to be rescued. And so that's part of the work of the son. That's prophetic. By the way, just remember, this is Paul saying, here's prophetically what God was saying and doing. He prophesied that his son would come. He promised that his son would come. His son came with the intent, the prophetic mandate on his life to fulfill the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. And that once we are redeemed from out from under the law, it's the rest of verse five, that we might receive adoption as sons. So we actually become new creations and we have spiritual sonship because we now are brought out from the law. We're no longer um, the sons of the law. We become sons and daughters of God. What, what happens? We receive adoption as sons when we receive Jesus. Now, in the Roman Empire, when an individual was adopted, it was no small thing. So the adopting father had, in, in adopting a son or a daughter, he is saying, I make this child my 100% full responsibility. I will provide for this child. I cannot cut this child out of my inheritance. I will take care of this child. I will assign my name to this child. This child, though, that was not naturally my own, I welcome this child. I place him in my family. This child is going to be mine forever until I am dead. And so in the Roman world, an adopted son actually had more security than a natural born son because a natural born son could be cast out if he dishonored the father. But an adopted son could not be because of the legalities of the Roman law. And so when, when Paul is using this phrase that we now have a standing and a position with God the Father as adopted sons and daughters, that is a prophetically binding reality. And Jesus came to secure that. The incarnation, the life, 
the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus secured our standing as adopted sons that cannot be written out of the family will. We cannot be cast out of the family. So redemption, this redeeming us from out from under the law, it, it sets us free from slavery. We were literally spiritual slaves. We were slaves to our flesh and slaves to our sin, but the new birth sets us free from slavery and equally sets us free from the demands and the penalties of God's own law. It's not that we can be anti-law. We're not going out breaking the law as new creatures and as adopted sons, but the law has been fulfilled on our half, and the law has now been written on our hearts because we have the new birth, and the very God of the law lives inside of us. And so we don't have to worry about the curse of the law, and we don't have to worry about the penalties of the law. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled all of that and has redeemed us out from those things. And so adoption welcomes us. You and I, welcome. If you're saved, hear me on this. You are welcomed as a son and a daughter, full standing, all of the privileges afforded to the mature sons and daughters of God. That's really, really good news. And that's part of the work of the son. Now, Jesus did a whole lot of other stuff. He said he came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, I didn't even get into the atonement because I'm not really talking about his atoning death. I'm talking about his birth. But the purpose of the birth was unto the death, unto the resurrection, and it accomplishes redemption and adoption for you and for me. And the third and the last thing I would say, you know, prophetically as we think in the Christmas season to remember is to remember the witness of the Spirit. So we have Father, Son, and Spirit in this. This is why I like Galatians 4, the will of the Father and the work of the Son, and then the witness of the Spirit. That's the preacher in me coming out, by the way. you got all those W's, the will, the work, and the witness. But, but here's, here's what the, the Spirit says in verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 4, that, that the Spirit gives a family testimony. It's beginning in verse 6. He says, and because you are sons, you are sons, your position as a son or a daughter of God, it secures the witness of the Spirit on your behalf. And what does the witness of the Spirit say? Watch this in verse 6. Here is what the Spirit says. God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. So the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of the son or the daughter of God is constantly crying out for a oneness with the Father. This is not the only place, by the way. Galatians 4 is not the only place where Paul hits on this issue of the Spirit's inner witness within the Christian. He writes in Romans 8, 14, he says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So I I want you to hear this because this is meant to actually relieve us and embolden us. That the Holy Spirit living within us, Holy Spirit lives within every single believer. 
doesn't matter if you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. The Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not Jesus. And the Bible says that we have all been baptized into one body by the Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit if you're saved, regardless of what you're doing with the gifts of the Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. All of my Pentecostal friends need to know that, by the way. <laughs> I got so I remember in my Baptist days, I get so frustrated with charismatics who would tell me I didn't have the Holy Spirit because I didn't speak in tongues. And I'm like, that's just flat out doctrinally unsound. It just meant at that time I didn't speak in tongues. And now as one who does speak in tongues and one who flows in the gifts, I want to make sure all charismatics need to know, quit saying that to people who don't speak in tongues. Quit telling them they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's just not theologically sound, but that has nothing to do with the message today. My point being is this. When you have the Holy Spirit, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is crying out for intimacy with the Father. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice that. God sends the Son into the world, and then after the death resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension, God sends the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. You know, we, we say it a lot, Jesus lives in our heart. Well, let me split a theological hair here. He really doesn't. Um, Jesus does not live in our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. Um, Jesus lives in heaven in a throne, in a glory, on a throne in a glorified body. And the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And the Holy Spirit living in the heart of the believer is constantly yearning to be one with the Father and one in close to, in intimacy with the Father. And he's crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. So this is the witness of the Spirit, and that happens in every single son and daughter. One of the ways to know, as Romans 8 said, one of the ways that you know you're a son or a daughter of God is that you long to be close to the Lord. And I would just give a gentle warning here. If you don't have a yearning in your heart to be close to God, you may not be saved. It doesn't mean you don't believe theologically the right thing, but if, if, you, if you have nothing going on in your heart towards the Father relationally or personally, and Christianity is to you just a cold set of facts that are in the Bible that you've given a nod to and an amen to, but you don't have any yearning for the Lord, um, that's, a, that's a warning sign. You ought to really, really consider if you've ever been born again. For those that are born again, there will be this sense of longing for closeness to the Father. And so we're assured in that. We're assured in that. We're not complete yet in the sense of we're not sinless yet. We don't understand everything yet. We haven't stepped into the fullness of our inheritance yet. But one of the witnesses of the Holy Spirit is from within you saying, I love Jesus. I love the Father. I love the Lord. I love his kingdom. I love his ways. I want to be close to him. I want to know him more greatly. I long to be more like him. And that is that beautiful witness of the Spirit that God prophesied would occur when, G when the fullness of time came, Jesus would secure this for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension. And so the last thing is verse 7, and I'll be done, is that this inner witness of the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a gracious testimony. In verse 7, listen, I want you to get this. You, daughter of God, son of God, you are privileged in your position. It says you are no longer a slave. You're not a slave anymore, but you are a son. You have the position in the household of God, in the family of God, as a lavishly loved son or daughter. That's you. That's not the other Christian. That's you. Say, so, well, Jeff, you don't, you don't know what I struggle with. That's okay. You're loved because he, he, listen, he loved you when you were nothing but a struggle. <laughs> 
when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, where the Bible says you were an enemy of God, where you were a child of the devil, you were alienated from God by your wicked works. He put his highest mark of love on you then. So you weren't nothing but a struggle when he saved you. How much more should you be assured that as a now saved son or daughter, you are lavishly loved and positioned not as a fearful slave, not as a shame-based, beaten-down, unwelcome, barely-tolerated person in the family of God, but as a royally loved son or daughter. Now, I'm not a flatterer, but I am a Bible believer. And if my Bible tells me, Jeff, quit thinking like a slave because you're not one, you know, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to stop thinking like a slave because I'm not one. And that same Bible says, Jeff, Live like a son because you are one. Well, in the name of Jesus, for his glory, I'm going to live like a son. And a son that has a father as good as God ought to know when he walks in the room, when, when that son walks in the room, that Abba Father is glad to see the son. Guys, I need you to get that. This Christmas, one of the greatest gifts that all of us could receive is a final destruction of the last trace of orphanhood in us, our religious slaves. That just needs to be expunged. Why? Because you're not a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're loved. He, he, he just, he not only loves you, he likes you. Doesn't mean he likes everything that you do, but he likes you. You're his. You've always been his from his perspective. And now that you came to Jesus by faith, your perspective is that what he had ordained in eternity, that you would be with him forever, is now recognized in time because you've repented and turned to Jesus. And the moment you did that, you moved from your spiritual enslavement to your spiritual freedom, from being a daughter or a son of the enemy to being a daughter or a son of God. And he says, welcome home. That's really good news, by the way. And by the way, verse seven ends with this. If, if a son, then you're an heir. H-E-I-R, an heir. You have an inheritance through God. So you're not just barely tolerant. You're not a front porch son or daughter. Could you imagine a family situation where you were allowed to go to Papa's house, but you were only allowed to stay on the front porch while all the other sons and daughters got to go inside? That's the way a lot of people feel about Christianity. Well, at least I'm in God's house. I may not be allowed in the living room. I may not be able to be enjoyed by him. I may not be able to eat at the table, but, you know, at least I'm on the front porch. That's not what Jesus came to die and, and, and rise for. He came to make you an heir. You are an heir. You're, you have an inheritance. And by the way, based on how we're living for the glory of God, that inheritance can actually grow. There's actually reward attached to how you live out your awareness as a son and daughter of God. But the Bible speaks of these riches. I'm just going to wind up with this. And think of these as gifts that God wants to give you during the Christmas season. Riches of his kindness. Riches of his grace. These are all in the Bible. Riches of his glory. Riches of his glorious inheritance. Riches of his goodness. Riches of his wisdom. The riches of his gospel. Riches of full assurance. All the riches of God in Christ. And those are specifically love and salvation peace and power and joy and protection and mercy and promises and provision and victory and stability and wisdom and hope, discernment, boldness, courage, compassion, purpose, and the riches of an expectation for the second coming. You see, the first coming fulfilled so many Bible prophecies. It's staggering. But guess what? 
there's actually more Bible prophecies that point to his second coming. And you can know that as sure as the fullness of time of that, that God had for the first coming came to pass, the fullness of time for the second coming is going to come to pass. And hallelujah, Jesus is coming back to planet Earth, not as a baby, not in a manger, not as a peasant, not as unknown, but he's coming back to planet Earth as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the undeniably glorious one who will establish his kingdom on planet Earth and every eye is going to see him and every knee is going to bow to him and every tongue is going to confess that this one, this one named Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. That's what's going to happen. All of it's prophesied, friends. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of prophecy. And what is prophesied about his first coming is only pointing towards the promises of his second coming. And all the sons and daughters of God, you need to live to the fullest of that glory now and until he comes again. I promise you, when you stand with him in the coming kingdom, you'll look back and you'll say to the father, you'll say, father, you kept your word about the first coming of the son of God in his incarnation. And Father, you, and you'll say this at that time, Father, you kept your word about the revelation of the Son of God at his second coming. And now, God, the Father, you will keep your word about the consummation of the ages that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah and amen. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits today. Listen, we will talk to you next time. God bless. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Check out our website, transformingtruth.org. And be ready because the upcoming year, January, is going to hold a whole lot for the people of God. So buckle up and we'll talk to you next time. What a word. We're happy you were able to tune in today. You can help us reach more people by rating and reviewing Mavericks and Misfits on whatever platform you use to listen to today's podcast. Connect with Jeff on his personal and ministry social media links by visiting transformingtruth.org. Also, feel free to email Jeff with comments or questions at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I'll say it again, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. We will talk to you again next week. Peace.